Welcome to the Help Club for Moms podcast. Each week we offer biblical encouragement and practical ideas to help you know the love of Jesus Christ more deeply and become the woman, wife, and mother you were created to be. We're so glad you're here. It's going to be a great day. Welcome, welcome. Hi, everyone. There's Danielle. I'm figuring out the uh, hello from Cape Town, South Africa. Are you serious? This is unbelievable. Mary Jo, hello. Um, I'm figuring out the technology here. So we're going to wait just a minute to get everyone going. Uh, While we're waiting, if you have your Bibles, grab your Bibles. We're going to be reading a portion of Scripture. So you can grab that. Um, I'm excited to be here today. My name's Daniel Grothy and uh, Associate Senior Pastor at New Life Church in Colorado Springs and love the work that Help Club for Moms is doing, not just here in Colorado Springs and at New Life Church, but all over the world. Apparently, we've got Cape Town logging in um, groups, meeting everywhere and doing some of the holiest work you can be doing. So thank you for uh, who you are and for what you're doing. Thanks for joining in. Deb, if you can comment at me here, should I get started? Um, Should I jump into the talk? I I think the beauty of this is that uh, it's going to be available later on demand. So um, let's see what we're getting here. Forgive my technological unsavvy. Uh, but, uh, Holy week. Yes. It's going to be a great time, uh, opening the scriptures here. Yes. Get going. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, Deb. So here we are. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 14. Uh, this is called the fight for Holy Wednesday, this talk. And we're going to look at two characters, two figures right here in this story. So what I'll do is read you out of Mark 14. And we're going to read Mark 14, 1 through verse 11. So here's what the scripture says on Holy Wednesday. Now the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. So Jesus is getting ready to go from Bethany up to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And they were looking for a way to arrest him, verse 2, but not during the feast, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman, a woman came. This is figure number one. A woman came with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume made of pure nard. And she broke the jar and she poured the perfume on Jesus's head. She dumped it all over his head. And some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why waste this perfume? Uh, It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly, going for it, fighting her, uh, sending their ire and their disdain in her direction. They rebuked her harshly. Couldn't this have been sold and given to the poor? Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. You can underline that phrase in your in your Bibles or you can flag it in your mind. She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. 
and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Wherever the gospel is preached through all the world for the rest of time, Jesus says, this moment will be remembered. It will be told she's done a beautiful thing. But then in verse 10, you see our second figure. And the story shifts. It turns from light and beauty and this extravagant act of worship to this darkness and uh, this this uh, devious thing going on in Judas. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this, the chief priests, and they promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us. We pray that your word would be living and active. We pray that your word would be powerful. And we pray that your word would encourage us and challenge us today. Your word always brings life and your word strikes down the things in us that bring death to us. And so Lord, I ask that you would bring life in us and that you would cleanse us and remove from us everything that's unhelpful. And so Lord, we pray that your word would do its work today in Jesus name. Amen. Here we are on Holy Wednesday reading out of the Gospel of Mark. The fight for Holy Wednesday is the title of this talk, and there's two figures. The first figure, I'll start from the end of the story and work my way in the opposite direction to the beginning. The first figure is Judas. Now, Judas, we know, is this uh, familiar character. Judas, his name has gone down in infamy. Um, uh, this is called Holy Wednesday, but it's also called Spy Wednesday in many church traditions. Spy Wednesday meaning Judas at this moment decided to be on the watch for a way to betray Jesus. He started scheming. He started his backdoor negotiations with the religious authorities. Judas is, he has made up his mind to destroy Jesus. He's made up his mind to, to jettison Jesus. He's made up his mind to move on. So Jesus in this moment is setting his face like Flint to go toward Jerusalem. He's made up his mind to give his life. But this is the moment where it pivots in Judas's heart to say, you know what? I'm done with Jesus. I've been traveling with Jesus for three years. I, I've been a disciple of Jesus. I had hopes that Jesus would, would be the right thing for me. But Judas says, you know what? Jesus isn't my guy. And he makes up his mind. So it's Spy Wednesday where G Judas begins to find a way to, to profit off of the sale of Jesus. How dark and how cold. Judas had a history of dipping into the money bag and he was in charge of the finances uh, for Jesus. He's the one who carried the, he was pulling the purse strings. So Judas was the finance guy, the CFO, if you will. He's the one who would uh, go ahead into a town and make plans. So if Jesus was bringing his disciples there or a large gathering of people there to have a meal, Judas would go and he would settle accounts and make sure that it was provided for. Uh, so Judas had, uh, he was the money guy. He was dipping into the money bag and he was, he had sticky fingers. He would, um, you know what? No questions asked. Jesus wasn't looking at the books. Judas was uh, just taking care of it however he wanted. And Judas was, um, we learned, shady. And it was likely that he had gone into some sort of a deficit 
uh, financially and that this was an incredible opportunity for him to use Jesus to balance his books, to use Jesus' renown to bolster his bottom line. Uh, Jesus was a means to an end at this stage in Judas's journey. Now, maybe early on, we can't know the intent of his heart. Maybe, I'm, I'm sure there were holy days for Judas. I'm sure there were days where Judas loved Jesus and where Judas was excited about being a follower of Jesus. Uh, I, I actually do believe that. I believe that all of us start, all of us start in our walk with Jesus with pure hearts and we want to do the right thing. But after three years, Judas, you see his heart had hardened. You see that he was disappointed in Jesus. And so he's he's got a little side business going, using the name and the renown of Jesus for his own benefit, for his own bottom line. And it was it was um, it was likely that Judas would overextend financially and spend on his own stuff and then try to use Jesus to, again, level it out on the back end. Judas assumed many people believe, and I, I think this is right, that Judas is going to sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver to the religious authorities. But I think at the bottom of Judas's heart, Judas assumed that Jesus would never let himself be taken captive. So Judas knows, hey, I can leverage Jesus, get the quick money here. But Jesus isn't going to become a prisoner. He's too strong. He'll lead a revolt. He'll he'll run away. I've seen him escape before. He's worked himself out of difficult situations before. Surely he's not going to deliver on what he said and go to the cross. Uh, so I'm going to get the money real quick, but Judas, uh, Jesus is going to take care of it by wiggling out of a difficult situation. So you can see Judas hedging his bets here and his mind working. This was easy money, Judas thought. Jesus, though, became a means to an end for Judas. And I want to suggest to you that right Christian worship sees Jesus as the beginning, the middle, and the end. It's just Jesus from beginning to end. Judas here in this moment starts seeing Jesus as an end for his own means. Uh, I'm going to borrow Jesus so that my life can be better. But true Christian worship says, you know what? Uh, Jesus has asked me to follow him, to take up my cross, to deny myself and to follow him. This isn't about me using Jesus for the furthering of my own brand or the furthering of my own story. Uh, Jesus is the beginning and the middle and the end, and I'm going to die with him if that's what it takes, but I'm not leaving Jesus. You see Judas now jettisoning Jesus, distancing himself from Jesus in this moment. It's easy to stay around Jesus when things are good. Uh, it's easy to stay around Jesus when the days are enjoyable. It's easy to stay around Jesus when life is working and when we can go about our lives and when we when we have leverage and freedom and, and possibility. When Jesus is making our life better, he's a nice little add-on, it's easy to stay around Jesus. But when life gets hard, when life gets difficult, when Jesus doesn't actually deliver on what we hope he delivers, these are the moments where it's easy to walk away. And we see that with Judas here. I've watched this. I'm thinking about Help Club for Moms and, you know, the particular stage of life that many of us are in. I'm 37, three little kids, 12, 10 and eight. And so I imagine that we're peers in that way, many of us. And uh, it, it's really easy to uh, 
to be around Jesus when the stakes are high with our kids. And we know how difficult it is to raise children in this world. We know how much we want them to turn out to be decent human beings full of the spirit of God. We know that we want them to be kind and gracious and forgiving. We, we want them to keep their word. We want them to be followers of Jesus, right? Uh, so it's easy to stay around Jesus when we need him. And, and when he's actually taking care of the important things. But you know what I've seen very often as people uh, become empty nesters and their kids get out of the house and, and sort of get a nice launch into life. What I've sadly seen in many cases is people in their late 40s, early 50s, uh, who have now sent their kids out into the world beginning to jettison Jesus. Uh, I don't really have the felt need anymore. The stakes aren't as high we think uh, I've done my hard work and now I'm going to kind of just relax. Now I'm going to take it easy. I very often see these people stop coming to church. One of the things I love about Deb Weekly is that Deb in this stage of her life has pressed in all the more. Uh, she's, she's not asking me to say this. I, I'm not getting paid anything for that. I'm just, I've watched Deb in this season of her life where she could take it easy, where she could care for herself. Deb has pressed in and started taking care of others. Help Club for Moms. She's pouring her life out. She's investing. She's discipling. She's encouraging. She's raising up the next generation. And that's what I think true worshipers of Jesus do. They press in. Uh, the, the further along they go, the deeper they go into the life of faith. Well, what we see here with Judas is he had had a decent run with Jesus, but then it gets hard and then he walks away. And I think that that's anti-worship. I think that that's worship of self. And so we see this with our first character today, Judas. Uh, the Lord's repeated references to his suffering and death Jesus keeps telling his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be falsely accused, I'm going to be murdered, and on the third day I will rise again. I think this moment in Mark 14 is the moment where Judas realizes, you know what, Jesus isn't going to be the, the brand builder that I want him to be. Jesus isn't going to seize this opportunity to make his name great for, for, for the sake of the bottom line. Jesus is going to make his name great by losing his life. Jesus is going to build the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of this world, by suffering and by death. And Judas just doesn't want a weak savior. Judas doesn't want someone who is, in his mind, soft. Judas wants someone who's going to power up, who's going to dominate the Roman authorities, who's going to build the brand, who's going to bring in the money hand over fist, who's going to deepen his own pockets. Judas wants Jesus to be powerful in the world's system. And Jesus repeatedly tells Judas and the disciples, I'm going to be powerful, but it's going to look like weakness. I'm going to go low so that, so that the world can be lifted up. And so I think this is the great moment where Judas walks away because he doesn't like the kind of savior that Jesus is going to be. One of the things uh, that this story tells us, that Judas accuses this woman. Uh, this woman comes and she gives her extravagant worship. She she breaks open this oil. It's worth a year's wages. And Judas and, the, and some of the other disciples start accusing her and going after her. This could have been sold and you could have done this with that. And why are you being so wasteful? And you're leaving a gift on the table. And that's not the way it's supposed to be used. And Jesus stands in between and he rebukes Judas and he protects the woman. Jesus says, 
Don't talk to her like that. She's done something beautiful. And I, I, I was thinking that the devil, you know, might be accusing some of you young moms out there. Uh, what are you doing with your life? There's so much more. You could be using your gifts. You went and you got an education, you studied and you stopped that. Or you, you know, very often in the stage of life of raising young kids, Lisa and I have seen this, like you, you press pause on some of the gifts and some of the horsepower that you have, the abilities and the graces and the education, all the, all the, the chops that you've developed that you could really leverage to make money. You could, you could leverage it to be busy. You could go out. But very often in this stage of life with young kids, what we're doing is we're actually drawing back some. We're pulling back to do more important work, to, to raise up the next generation. We press pause on many aspects of our life so that we can do that holier work. And the devil comes to accuse and say to you, what are you doing with your life? You, 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 that's not how you should use that gift. You should use that gift this way. You need to get out there. You need to do this. You need to leverage it in that direction. And the enemy comes to accuse. But I think Jesus today, for many of you, is standing in between that accusation. And he's saying, no, <laughs> these women are doing beautiful things for me. These women are raising up the next generation. These women are raising up children. These women are pouring out their lives at their own cost. Think about this woman giving a year's wages. And now here's what we'll do is we'll shift to the second character. The second character in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 14, is just anonymous, anonymously known as a woman. Now, in other accounts, it's Mary, Mary of Bethany. Some people think it's Mary Magdalene. I, I actually don't think it's Mary Magdalene. But, but in, we'll just stick with Mark 14. It's a woman. It's an anonymous woman. And she comes and she gives this costly gift. And that's what so many of you are doing in this stage of your life right now. You're, you're, you're giving a very costly gift. You're pouring out your life. And it's hard. It's hard work at times. It's beautiful work. It's holy work. There's so much joy raising children. Absolutely. I would never act like it's just so hard and it's not. It, obviously, it's a gift and it, it brings great joy. But there are those days where there is no praise. There is no acclaim. This woman is an anonymous woman. She's not named. We know Judas's name for all the wrong reasons. And here is this anonymous woman just giving this extravagant act of worship to Jesus. She's pouring out her life. She's pouring out a year's wages. Think about this. It's just now hitting me as I'm saying this, but many of you have stopped working to do this work for Jesus, to do this work for your children, to do this work for your family. You've given up a year's wages. You've given up, many of you, five years wages to say, you know what? It's gonna cost me, but it's worth it. It's gonna cost me, but Jesus will see it. It's going to cost me, but it's going to net so much more in the future. This is worth saying no. Now, many of you are working moms, absolutely beautiful. My wife does some of both. And, and so there's not a right or wrong there, but all of you, have made sacrifices. All of you have, have uh, pressed pause on certain aspects of your life to pour your lives into your children, and you're doing this for Jesus. And so I, I just think that this story absolutely relates to your life, to your situation, to your stage of life, and you're doing very, very costly work pouring your life out. So this woman, she gives a year wages, and, and what I think this points to us, uh, this points to us the costly act of worship. Uh, Judas was comfortable with following Jesus while it was good. 
And when it got difficult, he bolts. He goes and protects himself. He goes and secures a, a good uh, contract for himself. Judas sends Jesus off when it gets difficult. But this woman, uh, this is at the end. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. She's following Jesus all this way, and she's going to show back up after uh, for his burial, after his death for his burial. This is a woman who says Jesus is the beginning, Jesus is the middle, and Jesus is the end. And this points out to us the costly act of worship, of following Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer called it the, the cost of discipleship. And deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. Judas cuts when it gets hard. This woman stays the course. And today, maybe maybe you just want to hear this. Maybe some of you just need to be encouraged to keep going. On this Holy Wednesday, it's an encouragement to, to not stop. Uh, we, we've been locked up in our houses for a month. The world has changed almost overnight, it feels like. The economy is in a bad way. There have been lots of people who've lost jobs. There's small businesses that are, that are hurting. Kids are out of school. For those who, who were sending kids into school every day, your life has dramatically changed. Some, some of you are homeschooling moms and you're trying to figure out what life now looks like. And so all of us are, 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 turned upside down in this moment of life, and it gets really difficult. And this is a great moment for us to remember what we've signed up for. We've signed up for what Eugene Peterson called a long obedience in the same direction. We've signed up for a, a, a call to discipleship that's going to carry us to the grave. Like we don't, we don't divorce Jesus when it gets hard. We don't walk away. We don't stop. We don't throw in the towel. We are not those who shrink back, says the writer of Hebrews. And some of you might just need encouragement today that that you can make it. You can keep going. That that this is what Christians do and what Christians have done uh, for 2,000 years. We just don't stop. Now, we may be weak. Absolutely. There have been many times in the last month where I have felt extremely weak and it's not been easy, but this is where the power of the Holy Spirit comes in. So some of you today on Holy Wednesday, it's going to be a, re, uh, a refilling in the Holy Spirit. It's going to be, you know, it's strength for today. It's going to be the wind at your back. We're going to pray at the end here. Uh, so um, uh, we follow Jesus all the way through, just like this anonymous woman did. She gave this costly gift. She gave her backup plan. Think about this. A year's wages. This is like a woman in the ancient world, like a woman today, a man today, giving their nest egg, giving their 401k, putting all their chips on the table with Jesus. It does not make sense. No financial planner would tell you to do this. It just, it's, it's like stupid generosity. And, but she loved Jesus and worshiped Jesus that much that she went for it. And so, um, this is what we're seeing from this woman. It's it's all your backup plans are put on the table. We're, Jesus, I give you everything. I'm following you. I'm not going anywhere. And Jesus says that a life like this is beautiful. He says, uh, this story is going to be told throughout the whole world. He says, uh, wherever the gospel is preached, this woman will never be forgotten. It, her name doesn't get told to us. I mean, think about the great irony here. But this is the this is the way the saints see it. The true saints don't care if their name gets told. Uh, 
Judas wanted his name all over the brand. Judas wanted to be known and be out there and to be the CFO of Jesus Inc. This anonymous woman comes and gives all of her backup plans, throws all of her life on the table in a costly act of worship. And we're, we're still talking about her today in 2020 a woman who was willing to be forgotten for, for the sake of Jesus, a woman who was willing to, to worship with all of her life. And so I think this story is beautiful. The costly nature of worship is what we see with this woman. And we see the seductive allure of the world system with Judas. And it's a, it's a juxtaposition here. And so now I want to open it up for questions. I don't really know how far behind you are, uh, but I'm just going to open it up if you want to type in any questions in the margin, um, thoughts. Um, we're going to pray here before we're done. We've got 10 or so more minutes, so I'm going to pray blessing over you. But if there are any, uh, any questions you might have or observations or things you want us to pray for, go ahead and put that in the comments. Let me look back here through the comments. Uh, so glad to see so many people logging in. Um, from all over the world, gracious. Good morning, friends. So uh, come at me with your questions. If you have anything, what are you seeing in the juxtaposition between Judas and this anonymous woman who is the hero? Judas, the anti-hero, Judas, the bad guy, the one close to Jesus, and an anonymous woman as the hero and uh, I'll just say that so many of you out there feel anonymous, you feel hidden, you feel unseen. And I'm just here to tell you today, the work you're doing is work that Jesus brags on, uh, work that Jesus is proud of, work that Jesus sees as a beautiful gift. Uh, Jesus said about this woman, she did what she could. <laughs> and isn't that what all of us are trying to do? She did what she could. Um, so I, I just want to encourage you today to keep on doing what you can um, for Jesus. You have a comment from Mindy. Let's see. What are we seeing from Mindy? I can't see it. What do we have? Oh, this is where I don't know how to do uh, a delayed live watch party. <laughs> hey, Daniel, we're watching here from Columbus, Mississippi. Hello, Amelia Ann. Sure love you all. Oh, man. Sweet, sweet people. Sweet people. Um, this was so insightful. I want to go read this and see it more. Okay. Very. Thank you so much. Uh, praying the Holy Spirit continues to reveal more. Yes. I hope this I hope this is uh encouraged young moms where you are. Uh wish I could see the comments on the other pages. Uh Danita, thank you for your encouragement. Let's see. Seems like She wants to know what are some things you are doing with your kids right now. Thank you, Deb. Okay, so here's where uh, we can get into it. What are we doing with our kids right now? We, uh, first of all, 
take it easy on yourself. Nobody knows how to do this. Uh, a month ago, the world was different. And so just first of all, don't beat yourself up for not knowing. We're all writing the story as we go. Um, secondly, what can you do to redeem the time? Lisa and I have done more devotionals, more scripture readings with our kids in the last month. Sad to say this. We, we've done it more. Hi, Catherine from Minnesota. We've done more devotionals in the last month than maybe the previous three months. We are reading scriptures. John from the Philippines. Love you, my man. Uh, miss you like crazy. We're reading the scriptures. We're trying to help each of the kids uh, memorize a chunk of the passage. So this is going to be in my Good Friday sermon on Friday, and I'd encourage all of you to watch it. We just filmed it yesterday. Uh, but we're we're in each passage trying to help the kids memorize a portion of it. So we'll kind of repeat back and forth by his wounds, by his wounds. We are healed. We are healed. OK, kids, what do you uh, what do you see in this text? I need you to teach me. And so very often in these moments, the kids think that it's the parents who are teaching and the kids are down here listening. But parents, you've got to invert that. You've got to put your kids in a in a leadership role in the home. Let them practice in the home. And so I'll say, hey, Lillian, what are you seeing in that scripture passage that we didn't see? And, and stand up and tell us, OK, Wilson, what are you seeing? And OK, Wakely, what are you seeing? And then have them pray it back, pray the scriptures back. And you'll be blown away. Your kids are little miniature theologians. I promise you, if you put them in, in spots to practice their craft, you're going to hear revelation and insight from them the, that the Holy Spirit is is going to give them that you it's going to blow your mind. So this is where you get a chance to put your kids in leadership opportunities. Let them tell you what they're seeing in the scriptures and then let them lead the 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 prayer times and, and encourage them. Oh, that's great, man. That's brilliant. I've never thought about that. So that's something we're doing is uh, quiet times, uh, devotionals together. We're watching some shows. We don't, we, we aren't, we don't watch much TV, uh, but this is a great time to sink into a show together. Uh, some of you are going to think I'm going to hell for this, uh, but we're watching The Mandalorian together as a family. I don't know the Star Wars story, but I've read up on The Mandalorian and it's clean enough for the kids. There's not any so far. There's not anything dirty in it. Uh, and the kids are loving the story and they're most importantly loving watching it with us. So we're doing that. We're getting outside. We're getting outside. We're getting outside. We're doing exercise together as a family. We're making them read their books, you know. 30 minutes of reading and we're all going to sit in the living room together or if you want to go lay on your bed but we're going to read we're not going to be screen zombies uh, so those are a few ideas of what we're doing in this time uh, at home thanks for asking mindy what else do we have going on here any other questions practice in the home to prepare for the world yes that's exactly right melissa thank you for commenting on that i cannot overstate that uh, you have to find opportunities where your kids are leading you. And it's it's one of the best things we do. Okay, tell us, what are you seeing? What are you hearing from the Lord? Uh, what are you learning in school? Um, what would you do in this situation? I'll, I'll ask my kids situations about work, you know, and I'll, and I'll be very appropriate. I'm not putting too much information on them, but hey, kids, I've got to prepare for my Good Friday sermon and I'm a little bit nervous, you know. So here's the text. I read Isaiah 53 with them 
and I said, what do you see in the text? It's, it's just my simple way within my own work life of putting my kids in a spot to help lead me and to grow up into their leadership. And our hope is that, Lisa and I, our hope is that when we send them out into the world, they'll have 10 years of practice so that they get in a, a boardroom or a job interview and they're not scared. If your kids go out of your house at 18 or 22, and that's the first time they're beginning to practice their leadership, we've lost. So you want them practicing at eight and 10 and 12 and 15 and putting them in spots where they're, they're flexing that muscle. So they show up at 22 or 25 and it's second nature. So anyway, thanks for that. Same question from Amelia. Amelia, Jordan and I are feeling really led to start talking about Christ with our neighbors when we see them outside. How would you approach these conversations? Well, I'll just tell you that in this particular moment we're in, everyone's open. Uh, everyone's open. Everyone's asking questions. I see you, Julie Lucas, asking the same question. Uh, you know, when when the world is comfortable and life is normal for people, it's a harder time to evangelize. It's a harder time to talk about the things of faith because people feel like they don't need it. Oh, my business is working, you know, normal routines with the family. We get so busy that we turn off the important conversations. And it's moments like these, as heartbreaking as they can be, it's moments like these that crack our hearts open. And so people are laying in bed asking the big questions. People are waking up saying, you know what, I, I need help. I need wisdom from something outside of myself. So whether they're saying I need God uh, or, or I just there, maybe there's a higher power, whatever it is, their their hearts are provoked. They're asking big questions. And so uh, Paul talks about don't be afraid to hold out the hope that you have. So if you see your neighbors from six or eight or 10 or 12 feet away and you're all outside talking together, ask them how they're doing and they're going to they're going to leak. They're going to crack. Um, but when they ask you how you're doing, you can tell the truth and say, you know what? It's a difficult season, but this is where our trust in Jesus. It just it, it does the heavy lifting that, you know, Jesus had the very worst thing ever happened to him. Death. And God raised him up. And so that's why we trust Jesus. We don't trust Jesus because he's some sort of spiritual guru out in the desert. We trust Jesus because the very worst thing ever happened to him and his father raised him up. And Jesus is the one who, even though the worst things are happening to us, he's the one, if we'll stay with him, he will raise us up to, we're going to make it through. We're going to make it through. We're going to make it through. How can we be praying for you? So you just talk like that. You ask those simple questions. And I promise you, no one is going to turn down prayer in a time like this. So great question on how to reach out to your neighbors and evangelize, tell the good news of Jesus in a really unstable time. Any other questions? My help comes from Jesus. Amen. So good. Amen. I'm glad at least uh, Deb doesn't think I'm going to hell for watching The Mandalorian. <laughs> oh. Some of you got a kick out of that. What else do we have going on? Oh, I wish I could see all these comments. If you're if you're seeing other watch parties, Deb, or anyone else, and, and you see comments that you want to dump into this thread, that would helpful be helpful. Our 12-year-old daughter, this is from Kendra, noticed that because the father turned his face away from Jesus on the cross, when he took on our sin, that is why Jesus tells us, I will never leave you or forsake you. She understood. She experienced the pain of feeling alone. Yes, Jesus understands 
God forsakenness. So, man, this is a big theological discussion that we won't have time for here. Um, uh, but Jesus did experience the very depths of the human condition. Now, theologically, I would say that God never leaves us and God does not ever forsake us and that God did not leave Jesus or forsake him. The father didn't forsake the son on the cross. But I am, I, I am saying that Jesus, the son, the human, the word made flesh, the God man, in, in that moment of dereliction and, and pain and abandonment did feel the sting of abandonment. Think about him looking out from the cross and seeing his disciples flee to the hills. Uh, G- Peter, three hours later, I, I don't even know him. I don't even know him. Three times he denies him. So Jesus did feel that very human thing that any of us would feel of forsaken, like, oh, loneliness, heartbrokenness, looking down at his mom at the foot of the cross. Uh, But yes, the important point there for your daughter, your 12-year-old, who is obviously a little mini theologian, I love it, is that when we do feel life crash in on us, when we do feel the bottom fall out, when we do feel overwhelming emotions, what we can say is Jesus has been there. Jesus has experienced, he's gone to the very bottom of it. And so, yes, we are never alone. When the very worst thing is happening to us, we can say that God is, God is with us because Jesus has seen, uh, Jesus has been with us in this time. Great comment, Kendra McCoy. Amelia Ann, what are some Easter traditions y'all will be doing as a family? So asking a pastor about Easter traditions is a funny thing. Uh, Lisa said to me just last night, we might actually have like our first real Easter together ever as a family. Easter is, I'm, I'm going gangbusters. Uh, I, I've never driven to church with my family. Um, I, I come home after three services exhausted. So I'm not, you know, in a nice suit with the kids in their pretty clothes, eating a beautiful ham. And we're Easter is like recovery day afterwards. And the week leading up Holy Week is nuts. Uh, you've got the Good Friday service and all kinds of other things. So we're excited for a new kind of Easter this year. We're excited to be back in church next year. We don't want this to happen again, but we are planning on uh seeing how we can create a fun and a holy family Easter. It's going to be 20 degrees here and snowing. So that'll be interesting, but we're just going to really enjoy the kids. We're going to watch the service together. We're going to worship. We'll read some of the gospel texts of Jesus's death and resurrection and celebrate, eat a great meal, uh, but not put too much pressure to, you know, die 8,000 eggs. We're going to die some eggs and do a little Easter egg hunt, whatever. Um, but we're just excited about some time together this year uh, that we don't normally get. So thanks for asking, Amelia. Any other questions? I, I think this is probably a, a decent time for me to pray over you, uh, to speak blessing over you, and to to just pray God's encouragement. Some of you, I mean, you, if you're if you're moms, help club for moms. I just know you're doing the hardest work on the planet. You're doing the holiest work on the planet. My mom is with my dad. Is, she she made me. She made me. And I'm not just talking biologically, physiologically. Of course she did. But my mom, she 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 her fingerprints are all over my life. And anything I do um, here, let me just show you this. Um, 
my first book is releasing this week. This is not a plug for my book. Uh, this will make sense here in just a second. But I just got the first hard hardback covers uh, copy last night. And so I, I looked in it and in my acknowledgments in the back, you know, you write and then you, you want to thank your people. So here's my acknowledgments um, to tell you just about what kind of work you're doing. Like your kids one day will rise up and say these things. So here's what I wrote to my parents. They're the first people that I acknowledged in the book. I, I wrote to my parents, David and Becky Grothy. Any decent contribution I will ever make to the world is a direct result of their faithful witness and the lives of wisdom they have lived out in front of me. They helped nurture in me a love for the scriptures. They kept me around the saints and the sages in our local church. They taught me to chase wisdom from the people living in the University Village nursing home just down the street from our church. Because of their lives, the seed of this book has been germinating in me from the days of my youth. Dad and mom, the command to honor thy father and mother has been easy to obey with you as my parents. So I read that to you today just to say the work you're doing now is going to pay off in 10 years, in 20 years, in 30 years, in 40 years. You're doing anonymous work. You're planting seeds. You're grinding it out. There are some sleepless nights. There are many tears. There is obviously incredible joy, obviously incredible joy. Uh, but it's a sacrifice, and it's a sacrifice that looks like Jesus. It's you denying yourself, taking up your cross, pouring out your life for the future generations. So moms, God's blessing to you, God's blessing to you, God's blessing to you. Let me pray. Lord, I pray today that you would encourage every single mom on this video call. I pray that you would strengthen them. I pray that you would enliven them. I pray that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit. Lord, in this time of, of lockdown, international lockdown, of routines being changed, I pray that the joy of the Lord would break out in every home. I pray that there would be laughter in every home. I pray that songs would be sung in every home. I pray that there'd be tickling and wrestling and playfulness in every home. I pray that there'd be sweet conversations around the scriptures in every home. I pray, Lord, that as they just open up the book, that you would rush in, that you would leap off the page, that you would grab their children's hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would turn the, the prophet Malachi said at the close of the Old Testament, the very last thing. He said that in the last days when the spirit is poured out, the hearts of the parents would be turned to the children and the hearts of the children would be turned to the parents. And so today I bind all disunity. I bind all confusion. I bind all chippiness and going at each other. And I pray that the joy of the Lord would be their strength. I pray that their homes would be filled with life. I pray that there would be hearts brought together in this time. And Lord, I do pray, I sincerely pray this. I'm not trying to, to whitewash over any difficulty or pain in this season, especially if people have lost jobs. But I pray, Lord, for every mom on this call that in 15 years, they'd be able to look back and say, you know what, that was a difficult time, but there were so many surprises tucked into it. So many gifts, so many great dinners, so many wonderful conversations. And so, Lord, I pray blessing over them. And I pray that you would bind the accuser today, the, the enemy who comes to accuse and lie to these moms and tell them they're anonymous and tell them their work doesn't matter and tell them that they're wasting their lives. That's the devil. And I pray today, Jesus, that they would hear what you said over that anonymous woman that day who gave that extravagant gift of worship to you. She has done a beautiful thing for me. 
And as long as the gospel is told in all the earth, this story will be told. I pray that these women today would hear, you have done a beautiful thing for me, straight from your mouth, Jesus. And so I pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his bright smiling countenance upon you and grant you peace in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Much love to you all. Praying over you. God's grace to you. You're doing great work. Have an awesome Holy Week. See you around.